uh, of course, is a new thing. Um, we're aware, of course, that not all of our listeners will have followed the progress of these arguments, which at times seem so mired in their own violence that they're hard to follow. Uh, others, too, will not have followed them because they simply do not see their relevance to their own situations. Others still will be in the perhaps fortunate position of simply not knowing of their existence. So what I think we're going to try to do here is talk a little about the situation we're in, how we got here and try to broaden it out to encompass some of the really extraordinary work being done by trans thinkers and activists uh, and uh, people generally. Uh, One thing I don't want to do, uh, and want to say quite explicitly, is to stage this as a kind of debate where trans people are having to justify their existence um, or to speak of it purely in theoretical terms. And that's a thing that I think happens all too often. Uh, It shouldn't need saying, but in case it does, this show stands unambiguously with trans people in their struggle against violence and for liberation. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that, that I think is is where I want to start about the, the situation we're in and, and, and the history about kind of how we got here and, uh, and, the, and the way that the current situation has emerged. And I, I don't know which of you would want to mm. sort of loop in on that. Okay. Well, one of the things it's always necessary to say is that if you belong to a small minority that other people don't really understand... Half the time, you're not only dealing with your own issues and the issues of the way people perceive you, you're being used as a stalking horse for other questions. Um, I don't for a second think that the current row about no platform, which is being stated in the Observer article as about uh, transphobic and whorephobic speech being censored in the academy is actually about the rights of trans people and sex workers i you you only have to look at a number of the people who signed the observer letter and there's a very large islamic elephant that they're pretending is not in the room i think this is actually about suppressing the idea that Islamic students are entitled to exclude anti-Islamic hate speech from the academy. And I think that's particularly aimed in a weird double bind because what I I suspect that the people they're going after are not al-Majroon, are not the pro-Caliphate people, it's people who are, in fact, moderate and, quote, moderate, it's that awful word, who are secular, but who have an analysis that's not necessarily the conventional white Christian, white post-Christian analysis of their situation. So I think that's an example of way in which trans people and often sex workers are used as stalking horses for other issues. Mm. Back in the 70s, and I'll shut up in a second and let Ellie speak. Back in the 70s, it was very clear that one of the reasons why a particular faction within feminism came after trans people and one or two other groups was they wanted to be given the right by other feminists to police exactly who was a woman, exactly who was a lesbian, exactly who was a feminist. 
And we saw, as once they'd won the struggle against trans people, which they did, they moved on to heterosexual and bisexual women, to women with male children, we, to women who were doing BDSM. We saw this happen, and it took 20 years to claw it back. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There was something that um, Selma James said about this definition of because I don't subscribe to this idea of radical feminism. A kind of and and also the idea of the the swerf or the turf, which sex work included excluding radical feminists and um, trans excluding radical feminists. I don't like this radical feminist. Mm tacked on to the end i think somebody called it reactionary feminist but i don't i don't want to i would call them modern fascists i don't see them as radical feminists i see myself as a radical feminist and i know that selma james said that the radical feminists had once been those who marched side by side with sex workers and for me i, d I don't want to give them their their idea of feminism mm. any fuel because to me it's not feminism mm -hmm. No, I, I, I've often argued that it's it's basically turning feminism into a version of a 19th century romantic nationalism that yeah. slowly decays into, into fascism. Yes. It's all about maintaining borders, maintaining purity. Yes. I mean, even, as it were, the less awful people like Andrea Dworkin had a tendency that way. I, I, I had tremendous admiration for Andrea Dworkin, but there were, you know, in her case, it was sometimes a colossal failure of imagination rather than active, active venom. Um, because the radical, any radical feminism has to be intersectional. It has to be about listening to other, other people's experience. It has to be sitting in a circle without leaders listening and, con and raising consciousness through 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 dialogue um i'm quite romantic about the early 70s partly because i was <laughs> largely excluded from it this um this strikes me as, as something that's that's so far away from from the current situation it's it's, it's astonishing right i mean you know I, I said at the top of the show that that you know that there are arguments that seem so mired in their own violence that people just you know, jump back from them and don't even want to look at them quite, I think, quite rightly often because, it, it, you know, the, the violence sort of just, just streams off them. Um, what I wonder about is is how exactly we arrived at this situation because for someone who is, um, you know, and I, I look at a lot of this stuff because a lot of it um, impacts directly on, on kind of activism that I do with, with queer people, um, it, you know, and it's all <laughs> it's all intertwined in, in that way. And the ideas are certainly exchanged between um, between camps and between between sort of identities. Um, like, uh, what astonishes me sometimes is, is, and you mentioned Ros, sort of Andrea Andrea Dworkin. Um, one of the formative experiences for me was reading Dworkin's novel, which is not one, something that gets mentioned a lot, but it's it's a, a, quite a difficult. Uh, examination of violence, right? And the, each mm. chapter begins with um, um, with the same sort of phrase about, you know, I, I, my name is Andrew, and, I, and, and this kind of violence happened to me. It's, it's, it's in, in that sense, quite, quite, quite a difficult thing to read. And one of the things I, I, I find difficult is is to figure out how how people who can be so attuned and attentive to to, to violence and and can read violence in this particular way ca can't see. The kind of violence that happens uh, in another direction, uh, and I wonder 
how that can become clearer and what tools we have at our disposal to to kind of change change the picture right mm. and and i i'm not i mean i'm not sure but mm. perhaps I, i've thought for a long time i don't have the answers but i've thought for a long time that what it pivots on is some kind of issue of ableism now i don't know quite how to articulate it but the way i've thought about it for a long time is it it seems to me that a lot of people are not able to fathom either how someone can go into sex work how someone can identify as one one gender or whatever gender they identify as they are not able for one reason or another and so that ableism is something that um it's very very difficult to find the empathy and to to understand it as a broader violence and and to get some kind of conversational dialogue going but for a long time i have made my peace with with a lot of the violence that i've seen directed at the people i love and, and at myself by trying to come to understand it as as something that some people are not able to fathom and they are not able to imagine that life they are not able to walk in the, that person's shoes or if they have experience of it they are not able to manage it yeah. does that make sense yes exactly i mean he was a terrible a terrible old fascist but there's one line of george bernard shaw that i do find myself quoting a lot which is from st joan where the ghost of st joan says does a, half, a saint have to burn in every generation for the sake of people with no imagination? That hmm. um, people don't understand the daily violence that this rotten society subjects so many trans people, so many sex workers, so many people who are both, so many people who have been one or the other and aren't currently. The constant wearing effect of very small violence. Uh, we were talking earlier about this terrible business of the Tamil trans person, I think we'd better say, because they detransitioned, um, who was faced with immigration difficulties, who was faced with mental health problems and difficulties of accessing mental health problem, uh, mental health care because of immigration problems, who, who had problems with homelessness, on top of all the problems that they had as someone who was an occasional sex worker and trans woman, and ended up killing her benefactor, Let, you know, a trans woman who was trying to look after her got thrown under a train by her during a psychotic break who had foreseen that there might that something like this might happen and Cassassingham uh, apparently allegedly killed killed themselves in jail but it's the fact that those of us that knew the situation were trying there were so many small problems that it was impossible to deal with any yeah. of them and two people are dead because the entire system was bringing its weight to bear on this one person in all these small ways. And it's very hard if you've not, if you've been trapped as 
most most people most of the time are and I'm so grateful in lots of ways that my life hasn't worked out that way in a nice cozy middle class academic bubble it's impossible to get how that happens with uh, or if you do you react to it in a in a lady bountiful way saying <laughs> oh well I can solve this problem for these people no you can't because actually the situation is not set up so that you can solve problems and that is what we call late capitalism uh, because it's it's about it it's about money spending people instead of people spending money and this is what i think about being able are you able and i mean you collectively to people at large are you able to fathom how these things can happen how these lives are lived you know that this um this is something that we can expand out that isn't really about this is again why I don't like turfs and swerfs because I think it narrows all of our vision mm. we need to expand out of, of thinking about gender and sexuality and sex work um, and, and look at this very very overwhelming mess I suppose of you know the deportation, immigration system you've got the whole prison industrial pipeline foster care i mean where do we start where do we start to unpick this how this happens how the lives that the people that we all know and love the lives that people are living and how complicated it is are you able are people able to fathom some of this and to look at the complexities and to let go of the idea of perhaps solving it Mm. And I think that's that's an act of great courage is to just let go of the idea of fixing it. Mm. And, and I like your expression, Lady Bountiful. Yeah. I think it's very apt. Yeah. I mean, one of the problems, and it's... I don't think it's... We, I, I, one can address the, the British form of it, I think, because there, this finds its different vocabularies in different... Di different even your different European countries. But there's... It's the idea of the quick fix. Mm. It's the idea that by slow increments of finding the right policy, you can solve a whole slew of problems. Um, by, by, by only giving housing to the deserving poor who polish their doorstep once a week. Um, one of the problems specifically with that sort of feminist is, is that they think that trans people or sex workers are the problem that needs solving after which everything else will fall into place. Um, and it is a, a set of views which is intrinsically violent. I mean, Janice Raymond, back in 1979 in the Transsexual Empire, which is the great vocalisation of a lot of those views, said what, the, what she wanted was to morally mandate transsexuality out of existence. Which, of course, means, oh, crumbs, is there any way of, sounding, of saying this which doesn't sound like you're doing a, God, a Godwin's Law situation? Uh, so you, it's about, if you remove trans people from the situation, unstated how, then, then everything will be fine. If you stop people doing sex work, everything will be fine. And... No, it won't, and along the, along the way you'll ensure, at best, abject misery, and at worst, death and oblivion for an awful lot of people. And 
I mean, in the case of Raymond, she was involved in the defunding of transmedical care by the Republicans under the Reagan administration. It wasn't solely her responsibility, but she was complicit in it. There are some terrifying people. Um, And yet, if you point out to her followers that the blood of thousands of working class, particularly working class African Americans, is on her hands, they say, oh, but you're being mean. Yeah. The um, yeah. I mean, this is um, it, it, it is one of these difficulties. I think when talking about this is 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 precisely I think that that intellectual gesture, the the, the defence of saying, well, well, we weren't talking about trans people. We we're talking about transsexuality, as as if that 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 weren't to do with mm. with people and bodies and, and 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 the way that people get to live or don't get to live. Um, the the same I think with um, with, with sex work, right? It's the the the, the this. Um, Oh, oh well, we're not talking about um, abolishing sex workers. We're talking about abolishing yeah. sex work. Well, mm. I, I find it difficult to understand how how the one can be extricable from the other. Um, that, that as if you know, uh, sex work was something that that simply existed without bodies and people. Mm. Um, it, it, it is, it is, uh, to my mind, a cynical and extremely dishonest gesture. And it's one of the things I think that has characterised a, a lot of the way that that, that this stuff gets gets talked about is is again to pull it out of its real material consequences and the, yeah. and the fact that it is to do with people and it's to do with the way that people survive um one of the gestures i found strange in in i don't want to talk about it at, at length because it's pointless but 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 perhaps this gesture is one that plays out a lot is to is you know in in what what again i you know the 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 latest in a long line of slightly incoherent but really venomous pieces about trans people in the new, in the new statesman online um it, it was this sort of um extremely dishonest gesture to do, to suggest that um well actually uh, you know the the you know everyone really agrees with with us anyway mm. and either they don't realize it um or they're mad uh, or uh you know they're afraid to say it uh, and and this it struck me as just an act of complete dishonesty and so there's there there does it seem it, there there is it seems to me a series of dishonest gestures or cynical gestures about about you know and particularly about characterizing the other side right and and perhaps one of the things that that would be worth tackling mm. is to say well well these things that that people say that characterise the trans position as if there were mm. simply one um, don't seem to be true. So, for instance, the accusations of, say, gender essentialism and things like this, they, mm. they don't seem to me to be reflected in any of the trans feminism or indeed any of the trans feminists I know. Yeah. I mean, the point is, there are a lot of. I've never been entirely convinced that there is only one. One, set, set one way in which people are trans. I know, I know, for example, my own history, and I am to an embarrassing extent, you know, the, the equivalent of the gold card trans kid. Um, I thought I wasn't till I recently met again a woman who was my best friend when I was five and who tracked me down on the internet. And I said, how did you find me? She said, well... I couldn't obviously couldn't find your dead name, but then I I came across your name and I thought, oh, of course, of course, Ros is that that the the, the person I knew when we were five. 
And I was so embarrassed by that because I do resist that narrative a bit. And except it's true. <laughs> but I know that's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people transition much later in life. I mean, I, I was talked out of transitioning till my late 20s by a lot of well-meaning friends in feminism and gay liberation in the early 70s. Um, many of whom are horribly, horribly embarrassed that they did that because it's complicated like most human things. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm in, I regard myself as someone who's in solidarity with sex, worker, sex workers, partly because I've been a sex worker, partly because a lot of the people who've looked after me have been sex workers. When I was, when I was a confused adolescent, I found the trans community... Uh, when I was like 16, 17. And most of the people I met up with who looked after me and stroked me and said, Yo, you'll be all right, really, um, were sex workers. So, of course, I'm loyal to, the, to, to sex workers. I mean, I may sound like someone who... Oxford was important to me, but so was the street. It's as simple as that. And I'm in solidarity with the street because, you know, it, later on when I was on my uppers in America because of being let down and not having a green card, I did survival sex work. Big whoop, you know, it was the obvious thing to do. It was fine. One or two bad things happened. Mostly I had, you know, mostly it was okay and it, it got me through. And I didn't particularly feel any need to continue with it when I was back in London and <laughs> be, be working in publishing. But, you know, it's not like, it's part of my history. So it's a solidarity thing. Other people have different histories, you know, People are always a spectrum, and why, why, why there's got to be this one single thing with this one single narrative? I no, do not I know. No, I think that you're absolutely right about fitting a narrative. I mean, I have my own trans history, which doesn't... I, I've let go of the idea of it fitting what I believe or what I thought other people believed a, a trans narrative needed to fit. And, and that's largely because of my, um, my work with sex workers. I run a sex worker project, and... The experience I have with um, sex workers is that a lot of people who, whose presentation may not appear to be a, a trans presentation are able to express this aspect of themselves through sex work. And I also find that people's sex work narrative also may not fit. They may call themselves a, an ally. There is a big division in sex worker rights politics with, with sex workers and sex worker allies. A lot of sex workers call themselves allies for safety reasons. <laughs> there are people who may not call themselves sex workers because I think that takes a massive leap in the same way that it, may, it might take a massive leap of courage to define yourself as trans or to define yourself as LGBT in any sense, but who may very much be that. So, for example, many sex workers wouldn't dream of calling themselves a sex worker, but are very much engaged in some kind of transactional sex to find a place to sleep at night, you know, a sofa to sleep on uh, in exchange for a place to stay, for drugs, for money. All that, The spectrum is so broad. And, yes, fitting a narrative, I think, can be um, at best problematic. Mm. And an awful lot of the shoving people into a tidy little box is because that's the way 
that media works. <laughs> media work. <laughs> Pedants. Um, that if you can... If you can say there are people in white hats and people in black hats, it's a simple Hollywoodized narrative um, that you can represent yourself as the brave person standing out against a howling mob. I'm fascinated by the way that the discourse of the mob has crept back into, <laughs> into the public arena. What's a Twitter mob? A Twitter mob is 70 people politely disagreeing with someone and one person saying something very rude. And suddenly the one person enables the person who's being disagreed with to characterise dissidents mm. as a mob. Um, and it's not a mob, it's, 70, it's 71 individual people <laughs> using social media. And of course, one of the great ironies is everyone's crying free speech Oh, oh, Twitter is an attack on my free speech. No, Twitter is free speech. Twitter is allowing so many people who have been systematically erased to find their speech. It's quite remarkable just the... Ex and I, I speak as someone with a, a foot in both camps in, in a very remarkable way. Uh, it's so easy to become precious and think, well... Well, I'm a proper person because I have access to the, to the newspapers and the newspapers publish my views. So I am a proper person. I am entitled to say things that will come individually in the mailboxes of millions of people. But if 70 people shout at me and I find 70 people shouting at me in my, my mailbox, that's, brut that's brutality. It's, it's like... It's 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 like being beaten about the head by by, by the red guards in Miles mm. China. Whereas the experience for many people is to open a, a newspaper or a magazine and have the experience of being shouted at, you know, from from the the mainstream media right on, on every page. Um, one of the things that that sort of struck me about this is is, is precisely that that, that this question about you know, it's one of the reasons that I, I think to, to talk about free speech in this situation is is is, is misleading um is that it's really not a question of free speech it's a, it's a question of you know uh, of access and power and um you know i mean i it was interesting to to watch a discussion about you know uh this this open letter and 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 the argument being made you know and the argument shifts instantly the argument shifts because one moment it's about um, women's representation in the public sphere, and then it's it's actually um, about an abstract commitment to freedom of speech. When when you know when you know, when when they're talking about you know, uh, Rupert Reid or something like that, uh, and then it, then it moves in another way or, or some other direction. It's quite quite a rickety construction. But the the, the odd the, the oddest thing to me was this sort of you know is to think about things again purely in an abstract way is to say well well anyone can can write a letter to to, to the observer I, I thought well yes of course anyone can and they do all the time but not everyone gets them printed uh, and 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 that to me is is an interesting you know is, is this this kind of the failure to realize that that these modes of access are, are not equally open not to everyone, everyone has the confidence not everyone has the wherewithal <laughs> and not everyone is the kind of person who yes. gets listened to mm. um so I mean that that I think is 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 kind of uh, crucial. I think actually is, mm. is not everyone gets listened to. And it, it's important to also point out 
that not everyone gets away with, shall we say, shading the truth rather radically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible to go through the Guardian Stroke Observer letter and say, you know, that didn't happen like mm -hmm. that. Um, one example, oh, oh, it refers to Rupert Reid and, say, you know, and says, well, he expressed controversial views about trans people. No, he expressed the view that trans women should be excluded from all single-sex space. Uh, the question is whether he realised that meant toilets. Mm. Um, some, you know, um, as, as I've said, the argument about toilets is quite important because if you can't use the toilet safely, then you can't participate in education, employment or any kind of public life. Mm. It's one of the reasons why the, I don't call them trans-exclusionary because they're actually trans-exterminationists, mm. why the trans-exterminationists push the toilet issue is because they want to make it impossible for trans people to live. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So when a mainstream politician gives aid and comfort to that argument, you bet we're going to yell, yell at him because he wants us made into pariahs now uh, that's one that, that was an uh, that was weasel words by b campbell because you know she presented as if he had expressed perfectly reasonable views that anyone might disagree with but no he tried he wanted you know he said he effectively wanted trans people socially dead <laughs> sorry that's not an that's not a theoretical question but another example of course was the whole business about germaine greer at Cambridge, there was no attempt to stop Germaine Greer speaking. Um, the Cambridge Student Union was asked by the Union Society if they wanted to co-sponsor the meeting, and they said, no, we don't. Are you sure you want to have her? That's the, as far as the trying to stop her speaking went. Are you sure you want her to speak? The Cambridge Student Union then held an alternative meeting. I spoke at that alternative meeting. It was very crowded. It was a great meeting. And yet somehow this becomes me, me, me getting to exercise free speech becomes an attack on Germaine Greer's freedom of speech. How? It, it does strike me. I, I, it happens to be an interest of mine is the, the history of, of the press and access to, to platforms, access to, to the ability to get things printed. And, and this, this, it, it, it's this notion that um, you know to, to participate correctly, um, you have to rid yourself of all passion. You must express yourself in, in a particular way. Um, you must at all times uh, provide a kind of balance, often a false balance. This is a very recent phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. like, I mean, you know, in, in terms of the history of, of the press, you know, even a hundred years ago. It would, it would, it would be laughable, actually, this idea. Um, so, so we should think about this, I guess, in in the sense that it's a, it's a recent thing. Um, but I, I wonder the, the extent to which you know this this idea that that um, the voices that are that are saying you are hurting us are always read as uncivil, um, as not part of of, of proper public discourse um that that strikes me as itself a, a, a way of avoiding the question right the question that like actually your speech 
can hurt, can injure, isn't a matter that is abstract. Um, I, I guess the question I want to ask, because because I basically don't know, um, is is it seems to me that there, there's been a turn within, I guess, what you could call the kind of mainstream of feminism, right? That that, that stuff that that is in 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 newspapers, that is in sort of left leaning newspapers, that that gets published in magazines, from a sort of concern about representation. So glass ceiling, you know, how many of us get to be in the boardroom? Um, <laughs> why don't I earn a hundred grand a year? Um, <laughs> And, you know, stuff like, you know, Jane Austen on banknotes or whatever. Um, you know, that stuff. That, that kind of, you know, why aren't there more women in this and that or that. To, to this kind of uh, change towards, uh, you know, a concern with, um, with, with sex work from an abolitionist perspective um, to a concern with, like, very, very uh, deliberately policing the boundaries of who is, who gets to be a woman. Uh, I don't. I don't know when that that sort of turn has taken place. Maybe I'm I'm reading it wrong. Um, but I, I I wonder where it comes from. What I see, and I could be wrong. I see it um, very specifically rooted in anti-blackness. I see it very specifically rooted in racism, and I see where it really began to turn in this very marked way was was um, with. It's, it's, it pivots on this word misogynoir, which I think Moya Bailey coined um, and that uh, I read about on Gradient Lair, which is a great website. And through Twitter, this is how I, I came to realise that so much of this, I think, did pivot when when you've got this, this strong turn against anti-blackness and not against women of colour, but against anti-black women finding a voice and speaking up. And this idea of decorum... This, this idea of, of going about feminism in a very particular way and then whole swathes of people saying, no, 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 we've, we've been silenced. But I see that that pivot took place and I could be wrong because maybe mm -hmm. I wasn't paying attention and maybe I'm kind of new to all of this. But I think that that's where I saw it get particularly pronounced. Mm. I think it's also the perfect storm of all these voices asking to be heard and the rise of social media and the threat to the old style of conventional print structures being superseded by social media mm. and the sense on behalf of a privileged middle-class commentariat, which I am both am and, and am not part of, that they're being reduced to the same precarity, precariousness yes. as everyone else in conditions of austerity. And one of the comfort blankets that they've pulled over themselves, and I think it's very significant that's happened at this point, is this idea that dispassion is neutral. Now, if you look at the history of the British Secret Service, actually dispassion and the idea that anyone can do any job and anyone can understand anything has been used within the British Civil Service, particularly since Thatcher, though arguably since the Heath government and Keith Joseph, to push the structures of the state further and further to the right in the name of balance <coughs> and dispassion. And it's, it's not a coincidence that a commentariat which increasingly is serving the agenda of the, of the security state mm. is doing this. Absolutely. 
Um, I wonder if a way to, to, to take this discussion. Um, there's one, one other person who was going to join us in the studio today is um, Raji Rage, uh, whose accent sort of... Uh, uh, I don't know how they identify exactly, so I don't want to speak for them, but some really excellent work on um, uh, the relationships really between sort of race um, and uh, queer identities and gender queer identities, uh, and, and uh, you know, the, particularly those intersections which, um, which are, are so vital. Uh, really recommended piece um, on their blog that they delivered at the recent Trans Feminisms mm. conference at Goldsmiths. Um, I, I, I'll tweet it out from, from the Navarro account. I really, really suggest um, uh, people look it up. Um, but it struck me, you know, one of the things, one of the many, you know, many things I took from the piece, one of the things I took from the piece was th- this question, an almost sort of Faustian bargain, right, which this moment it presents itself to, to people engaged in, in political struggle uh, in, in the trans community. Um, it, there is this sense, and it's difficult to negotiate because it happened to queer people a while ago as well, which is to say, okay, we're going to make this exchange. Uh, you're going to be respectable. You're going to, you know, uh, we're going to let those of you who are, who are white, who have respectable jobs, who, uh, uh, you know, who who have access in, in like to these particular codes of, uh, of both appearance, uh, discursively as well as physically. You know, we're going to bring you into the fold. Um, you get to come and sit at the table. But what you promise to do is make those people shut up. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I mean, and. You know, obviously, one of the ways that that that, that, that this goes in in queer communities to, is is like it's really absolute and deliberate employment, even by states, right? Which is to say that you know, okay, like, well, you know, you 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 got to be on side with the state because we we protect your rights, and you know, you know, if if those brown people over there wanted to, you know, were in government, then then they would have you killed. So, so the the way in which you know our identities get taken from us and employed in, in this way, and, and particularly that 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 offer, that that kind of Faustian offer, you know, like put away those dreams about you know actually dealing with, you know, these 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 what, what you were talking about earlier in the show, Alice, the the the, the kind of the, the fact that you know it's not just gender identity and it's not just for us like uh, you know se- you know uh, sexual orientation or, or, or stuff like that. It, it's it's everything from 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 the ground up. Uh, if you put that to one side, well, we can let you live without this particular kind of violence. Um, so that, I guess, is is what's on the table in some sense. And I, I wonder if there are ways around thinking about that, uh, and 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 ways in which that 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 is kind of a thing that you have to negotiate because there is a very real and pressing issue uh, in in terms of. Um, in terms of deaths, in terms of you know really uh, you know uh, clear physical violence, I mean some of the statistics on the stiff on this stuff, um, you know the, the trans people are murdered for being trans people. Two hundred over two hundred people, trans people killed last year. Um, uh, you know probably many more. Those are the ones that we can. You the know, number we, of black trans women who yeah. died already this year yeah. is astonishing. Just in the states in Europe that we know about. Yes, I mean it's. Last time I checked, it was seven or eight. Mm. But I think that's probably already today out of date. Yes. And it's, it's two months. Mm. And that's the ones we know about. Um, and that's not counting people driven to suicide. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I refuse to be... I hope... 
I, I, people sometimes think of me as a terribly establishment figure, but I hope, you know, it's partly because I refuse to be pure because my purity has a body count. And my purity mustn't have a body count. My purity will... Any element of purity in my politics will always have a body, body count just as much as dealing with liberal organs... I mean, you know, I used to I used to work with the National Council for Civil Liberties for my sins, and that meant compromises, and that pom- those compromises ha- had a body count. But so would a perpetual abstention. You know, you do what you can. You just have to, have to be. Com- it's partly a personal ethic. You have to be blisteringly honest with yourself and blisteringly prepared to accept some moral responsibility for things you can't actually change. Um, you just do what you can and face up to it. And I think in the work that we're doing, it's it's kind of urgent. With when some of these absurd nonsense stances that people are taking, where they feel that they are put at risk and that their speech is being compromised, and these are very, very, very establishment figures who 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 get the chance to say that in the first place and who have all of their papers in place and their house over their roof over their head i think that we have to we have to move on urgently all of us and um forget about some of these theoretical conversations and forget about our need to party our right to party as as this community that we're supposed to all happily belong to and and, and broaden things out urgently in terms of deportation immigration who who has the right to live you know the, the whole prison industrial pipeline, um, homelessness, the housing situation mm. that we're, and, and yes, and I think that's that's what you were saying about the precarity that people in establishment positions are now becoming slightly more aware of. You know, their positions are slightly mm. more precarious. Well, let's not lash out at one another. There is a lot of work that we have to get on with. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do think we're in a very scary moment. I mean, a hundred years ago, Yeats, nasty fascist man. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes had his finger on something. Yeah. We who five long, five short years ago talked of wisdom, beauty, and of truth, now squeal with pleasure if we hear the we- if we feel the weasel's twist, the weasel's tooth. I mean, he was a good poet, nasty, yeah. <laughs> nasty fascist man, though. He, though he undoubtedly was uh, also sort of you know actually you know, it's, it's sort of sidebar uh, a sort of monkey glands to to revivify his sort of libido and very strange sort of you know ad hoc kind of um you know attempt to regain youth and virility and you know so i mean the, the, you know the, all of <laughs> this this very strange sexual history of a man who's also you know reactionary and gross and sort of oozy um anyway um, do you think that's what's going on with some of these reactionary figures at the moment they're just struggling to regain their <coughs> <laughs> There is, there is, I think, a, a, a question of, of power at play, mm. um, and it's, it's the thing. I mean, I, as a, a, a sort of, uh, in many senses, a bystander here, um, which I think is perhaps not a useful way to, to, to characterise involvement, because I'm involved simply because, you know, the number of my friends who, who suffer as a result of this mm. stuff, right? Like the, you know, the number of friends who, you know, who I speak to at three a.m. when yeah. you know when, when when they can't cope the the, the 
number of people I see through activism around housing. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, mm. really in, in, in that sense, you mentioned it, Alice, like queer people, trans people, sex workers as well, very often, or, like really on the front line. I'm, I'm, I mean, on both sides there as well, actually, like in terms of people who actually do the activism as well. Um, but, but, but that stuff, I think, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to make clear how, how, how how much is on the line with that yeah. stuff at the moment mm. how, how close those services are to breaking and 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 in in that sense you know like it, it's i find it hard to say you know because you know they, i i hold stonewall's feet to the fire very often mm. but i find it hard to to say you know you know that they shouldn't exist yeah. <laughs> um i i perhaps i'd like them to sort of collapse into multiple bodies that could do do things a little better but you know whatever it's always worth reminding ourselves you know what we all know who was who was leading the stonewall riots yes the trans yeah, yeah, women yeah. of color who were sex workers yeah it's always uh, worth throwing that in every possible moment well exactly i mean one of the things that started me writing poetry again was the absolute necessity of finding a way of, of saying that convincingly yes. while my first poems of any worth or importance was just a way of resisting the attempt by some gay male academics <laughs> to de-trans and, wa- and whitewash the riot so that they could throw people under the bus. Uh, yeah, in fact, there is, uh, I think, a, a letter in The Guardian today from some guy um, in, in response, I think, to, to Owen Jones's sort of pro-trans... To, uh, to Owen's quote, Owen quoting me? Yeah, to, to, to say, well, you, to, to attempt to, you know, detrans this stuff as well, to, to say, well, actually, Stonewall, you know, whatever. And the way it happens, you know. <laughs> Men. Um, I, I, I sort of, I guess, you know, as, as we're, we're moving towards the end of this, the show, I want to kind of talk... I guess we'll get you to talk a bit about about this this tension. I think that has been visible in in, in the way that that, that you, you've both been speaking today about you know that that question of survival, which I think is you know is one you know because it's such an emotive term, it, it can get excluded from discourse around this stuff, right? To say that well, if you if you if you're going to hang questions of survival over us, how can we ever have our nice debate, um, right? You know the, the way that that mm. happens. Um, but but that tension, I think, between survival and not only survival, mm. right? Um, the, the attempt both to, to and it's I guess um, a question that crops up in a lot of, of politics is you know, to defend what little we have left, but but not just defend what little we have left, but to make a claim and try to try to shift and push things in, in different ways. Um, and and you know it's. I kind of I, I wonder how to deal with that sometimes. I wonder, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an answer, but but maybe we can explore it a bit. Well, it's partly learning learning to make lemonade. I mean, a lot of the I get, in spite of the fact of you using the block button a lot, um, I get quite a staggering amount of personal abuse online. Um, from particularly from the American trans exterminationists who um, really don't like me very much. Um, and you know, like I'm yesterday, really sorry to hear that. Well, no, I mean, no, they're lost, frankly. Mm. I mean, because I'm the most ultimately charming, witty, and intelligent person you could ever meet. So if they hate me, well, that just goes to show they have no taste. But yesterday. Uh, someone linked me to a, someone said oh they're being really mean about you and i thought oh 
gosh, I wonder what they've got hold of now. And it was just, oh, you're trans and and so no one will ever sleep with you again. And you go, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm old. I mean, I'm staggeringly old considering. Um, and I've been in this business for 40-some years. So I have developed a hide that's several inches thick, and that's not a ba- bad thing as long as you also maintain a capacity for empathy, which I hope I manage. You have to turn these things to an advantage. You have to... Being capable of laughing at the the awfulness of the other side is a very... is is, is actually one of the things that makes life worth living. You know, saying, oh, for heaven's sake... What are you like? And again, I think it does come back to ableism and what, what are you able to do for yourself, but also what are you able to reflect on those people who are who are maybe putting you at great risk and being very mm. violent towards you? What are they not able to understand and what, what are you able to to let go of and mm. and I'm, for myself I'm not able to participate in something like Twitter anymore it puts me at too much risk it's yeah. too frightening it's too it's too difficult and dangerous um, so I think you find your own methods and yeah, means of exactly. survival and you find out what other people's are and you yes you try and be empathic about that and you look after each other yeah. I and mean, you have each other's backs I mean um, and if I'm you can make that happen offline as well as yes, online, exactly. because for some people they are only able, and I keep coming back to this ableism, they are only able to connect with others online, and for some the opposite, and for some both. So we need to be able to find different means mm. and methods yeah. to help each other survive. Self-care is radical, looking after it, having each other's backs is radical. It is. I mean, it's my 70s thing. Um actually just looking after looking after your the people you know is it's the core of my activism yeah it's a, it's, it's a significant people. part of mine mm. um it's not all about the glamorous stuff about getting your name in the newspaper a lot no or the shouting the loudest mm. or turning up at the most events no or if you turn up it's it's turning up at events because you need to be there, not because you're going to be the star. Yes. <laughs> it, it seems to me that, that both of you are advocating something that, that can apply more widely, right, is, is, and would be, uh, I think, a great boon to, to radical politics in the UK is, is, is to think in that sense collectively, right, like in, mm. in terms of, like, one, that you're not going to win tomorrow, right? This is a, a mistake, I think, that... Is a mistake that I made when while younger, right? Um, but it's a mistake that um, that is perhaps common to the young. Mm. Is to think, well, we've got all the right ideas, and now that's something you don't hold on to for a long time. Um, we've got all the right ideas, um, and we have right on our side. So obviously, we're going to win tomorrow. Um, it does, I think, tend to underestimate the strength of, of established models and established ways of doing things and how, how much that struggle can, can crush people, um, mm. can crush people emotionally, can crush people psychologically and physically. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I would say, you know, the, the struggle is long. So, yes. um, so you need to be there for it. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
I guess one of the things that, that while talking today, Alice, you, you said uh, about those kind of false ideas or, or delusions that, that might be held by the other side about what, what people think, um, but also that we might ourselves hold, you know, cherish delusions. Maybe we could, just, just for the end of the show, uh, those kind of ideas that, that we would like to diffuse, that we would like to see drop out uh, of conversation and of, of discussion that we would like to see just fall by the wayside. Um, what would they be? <laughs> mm. Well, one of the great delusions is that we're going to win. And that, or that if we're not going to win, there's no point. Because the point is, one of the reasons why it's important to look after each other and have each other's backs is that that is worthwhile. Every day of survival we snatch from the face of the nightmare around us is a win you know we you know take short views regard every tiny victory as important well the idea that people who are saying things that really do hurt us and that are a, a, a genuine violence to us that 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 can't shift that it can't change because it can and we have to be able to conceive of, an, of, of the possibility that those people holding those very violent and, and dangerous views can and will shift. Mm -hmm. And yes, it may be long term. Mm. It may take a while. And it does happen. I mean, a couple of years ago, I and some friends put together uh, a statement of support and solidarity with trans people from largely the academic community. And which was a lot of which was my American friends. And I noticed a, a British feminist politician had signed it, who I was quite surprised to see this, to see there. I'm no names, no pack drill. And uh, I said, that's that's surprising. And my friend, my friend who'd who'd put her name on said, yes, well, I, we got a, you know, I got a, a, an email from her. And she said, actually, I used to have terrible views on trans, but. A couple of times I found myself working politically with Ross and realised that I was wrong. And it can happen it purely can. just by being there and doing the stuff. Just by showing up, yes. we can change things. Well, that's a, a, a cheery note. Um, yeah, I, 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 I sort of guess the, the, the thing that, that, that strikes me the most about, about this conversation and reading, reading people online is... Uh, is how much there is actually how, how much how difficult it would be to make the claim these days that well I haven't ever read anything by a trans person it's not out there for me to access I don't know I, I don't know anything about it I shouldn't have to know anything about it it's nothing to do with me uh, it's one of the, the the great successes I think uh, and it's a tactic that that, ha <laughs> that has been common to, to liberation struggles is to say no no we are here we are we are real we are human um, and uh, and and you know you know we can we can think for ourselves actually um, I, I, I it's one of the the things that has always that I've, I've found difficult is is I guess trying to make the 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 connection because it seems like it should be a connection between people who feel trapped and determined by by their gender uh, and yet can't see the kind of uh, violence that 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 is done in turn to to trans people mm. um and uh, i guess you know i mean uh, maybe we have just a couple of minutes left now maybe we can explore that just a little oh, i could throw in a big mm -hmm. um phantom into the end of the conversation <laughs> i think it's projection every time mm. 
Yeah. It's over and over and over again. And I would use that as a blanket term always. It's projection. The people who are the most hardline about this stuff are, are the ones who've got it going on for themselves. It's their projection. It's their unlooked at stuff around whether it be gender, whether it be sexual assault, whether it be sex work. These these are big buttons. And there's and a great deal of trauma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it can be hard to be understanding when people are being very violent and... Mm. But, yeah, I think it's always projection. And one of the most difficult things when you're writing fiction is to put words into the mouth of the bad people. And it's... And we have to do that in our politics as well. We have to at least try to understand how they got there. Mm, Yeah. Sometimes that involves a certain amount of scorn, but... um, because oh for heaven's sake but nonetheless you know they are there and you have to deal with them and yes dialogue i think throwing questions back instead of coming up with lots of polemic where where is this coming from what what is this stuff of yours that you're throwing at me what what is what what, what went on in your childhood really because <laughs> that gets thrown at the sex workers all the time mm-hmm. i want, i like throwing that one back you know yeah. what went on with you mm. <laughs> Yeah, but so it's the thing Cordelia says in Buffy, you know, what is your teenage trauma? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, we will leave it there for this week. The Buffy um, quote. <laughs> it's a good way to end. Um, Ellis and Roz, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I wish Raju had been here. Yeah, yes, so yeah, I. yeah. And uh, we'll put up a link to, to Raju's work, um, which I think is really, really great and people should be reading. Um, uh, so uh yes uh, uh obviously uh look on the site for links to to various things to to read about this um uh and we will uh see you uh same time same place next week <laughs>